Um, we're in a series looking through um, the life and writings of Peter. We're in 1 Peter 2 this morning. If you've got your Bibles, um, we're going to read verses 4 to 12 from chapter 2. Let me read that for you. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you what you've been doing in us and even amongst us this morning. Um, And we ask that we would just go further and farther with you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a wonderful passage. Um, We unpacked this in quite a lot of detail in our um, series on running together on community. Um, And so I don't want to just repeat that. Um, When I was speaking, and I I really focused more on us as living stones and the idea of us being built together and the value of corporate worship and being together. And so... I'm not going to focus in on that. If you want to re-listen to it, it was November the 8th, if you want to check out the podcast and go back in time a wee bit. Um, But I want to focus differently this morning. And really, as much as Peter does talk about us as living stones, it's such a brilliant, powerful picture. Actually, Peter says a lot more about Jesus than he does about us, or just as much about Jesus than he does about us. Um, So he says, yes, we are like living stones, but he says Jesus is the living stone. He says Jesus is chosen and precious, He talks about him as the cornerstone, the stone the builders rejected, and the stone that causes uh, people to stumble and fall. So anything Peter is wanting to get across about us and the people he was writing to is only because of the truth of who Jesus is. That's where he starts. Um, So this idea of cornerstone, um, so in biblical times, building terms, the cornerstone was used at the sort of corner, surprisingly, foundationally, at the bottom corner. So it was like the foundation and the standard upon which the whole building was built up on. So everything had to line up to this cornerstone. Once in place, everything else kind of had to conform. Um, And if that one was removed, everything else fell down. So that's what he's talking about. He is this secure foundation and the standard that is built upon. Um, so I says, you know, no one who trusts in him will be put to shame. He's absolutely secure. And if you remember the people that Peter was writing to, this is the scattered church under real challenge, real persecution. Um, actually, he was shoring up their foundations and saying, hey, I know life is really tough right now, but just remember who Jesus is. Just remember who you're built on. It's really important. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that if you remember back a few weeks, you know, Peter's um, confession of who Jesus is, when Peter says those amazing words, you know, you are Peter and on this rock, 
I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't even prevail. This must have been in his mind when Peter was writing this, this idea of, and for Peter, I think that certainty of, that's what Jesus said. He said, he said he's going to build his church. He said the gates of hell won't prevail. And they were very, you know, in reality, seeing kind of hell come against the church in very real terms. But that sort of certainty in Peter is amazing as he says this. So Peter's expectation and understanding of the church was this is a spiritual temple that God is building on Jesus. And nothing changes that, even in challenge. Um, so yes, you know, it talks about Jesus actually is the stone that many people, you know, are rejecting and that actually causes people to stumble. And, um, you know, the bottom line is Paul says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. You know, so like Jesus is a stumbling block, if you like, um, um, they would have absolutely been seeing it then in the church. Definitely we see it now, don't we? Um, you know, but... But what effect does that have? Like, does, you know, it's, it's real, it happens. But um, I want to read you a quote from John Piper, who, writing on this passage of scripture, which is brilliant. So looking at this idea of Jesus as this cornerstone. The point is this. If you believe on this stone, you can't lose. And if you disbelieve on him, you can't win. Human unbelief does not frustrate or defeat the ultimate purposes of God. If God plans for Jesus to be the chief cornerstone... Humans can betray him, desert him, deny him, mock him, strike him, spit on him, hit him with rods, crown him with thorns, strip him, crucify and bury him. But they cannot stop him from being what God destined him to be, the living cornerstone of a great and glorious people. Wow, that's amazing. That is amazing. And that's amazing for us. But imagine you're in a, you know, a little church community, you know, fearing for your lives, maybe having to meet in secret. Gosh, what life-giving truth and strength that would be. No one who trusts in him will ever be put to shame. We will be built into a glorious temple, but it's only in coming to him. Only, only, only that we become living stones and are built into this temple. And you know, the Greek word that is used there for as you come to him implies it's an ongoing, it's the ongoing present tense. So it's not just when you came to him, when you were saved. It's as you, day by day, come to Jesus, you are being built into this temple. So that's the first thing that P Peter really strongly goes after is Jesus is the foundation. The other thing that he does, which I love, is he, he goes big picture, he goes, let's look at the whole of history. So he uses three different Old Testament quotes. I'm not going to go back over them, but the, the bits in little speech marks in your Bibles, those are direct Old Testament quotes. You'll have it, I'm sure, in the bottom of the page of your Bible. It will tell you where they are. Um, so it's pointing to his, his view of, listen, the big arching story of God through history. You know, and Jesus, the cornerstone, as the fulfillment of what was promised. Similarly, in verse 9, which I really want to go after in a bit, all of those you are, chosen people, a royal priesthood, all of those things are echoes and language that was used in the Old Testament, you know, when God was talking to his people. Just for example, just one, listen to this in Deuteronomy 7. It sounds very similar to this verse in Peter. It says this, you are a holy people who belong to the Lord your God. Of all the people on the earth, the Lord your God has chosen you to be his own special treasure. Like Peter definitely was thinking that verse when he wrote that verse nine, right? Like it's very, very similar echoes. Um, so he's saying, look, as living stones being built, you are being grafted into this amazing narrative of God's work through history. 
It gives place and purpose and belonging to people in a situation where everything was shaking. So he was saying, look, I know the immediate right now is really challenged, but look at history. Look at the big, big picture, what God promised, what he's fulfilled in Jesus. And so you can absolutely trust him with everything else. So it's like he's setting the big the big scene, if you like, the big story of God and Jesus as the fulfillment and foundation of the continuation of God's purpose through history. And that's the same for us. Like we don't face the same challenges and shaking that the scattered church in that first century were, but like all of us have times when stuff's shaking, right? There's like, watch the news. Like, you know, like there is, there is that challenge. But, you know, we need to understand that we find our place we are established in purpose. There is meaning and significance and security for each of us on that absolutely sure foundation of Jesus and taking our place in God's story through history. Like that shouldn't, on the one hand, that kind of makes us feel very small, but on the other hand, it makes us feel hugely significant. You know, actually, that, you know, Jesus, who's the beginning and the end, even what we've sung about this morning, is actually, I find my place in this story of Jesus, who always was and always is. It's amazing. And then he really goes after this um, this amazing verse in verse 9. Let me read it again to you. For you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And I, I want us to hear that over ourselves this morning. You are. Like you are, um, it's almost like this. These phrases, verse nine, is is kind of what was branded on each of those individual living stones, and is what is kind of the banner over the corporate temple that God's building. And um, so, there's four things that he says: chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, of people belonging to God. And um, other translations, the older ones, translate God's special possession as God's peculiar people which I think is very apt for some of us. <laughs> but I don't tend to use those translations. But anyway, let's look at those four, those four things. And I actually want to, if it's all right, um, I want to really go after that idea of priesthood. That's one I feel like has been really stirring. So I want to put, look at chosen, God's chosen people and God's special possession, because for me, they really link. So let's look at those two, the first and the last one. You know, you and I are chosen by God. I think sometimes we can kid ourselves that actually, you know, Oh, we chose Jesus. We did him a favor. I said, I'll be on your team. Um, like he chose us. That we, were, we have to respond and come to him, this living stone. But, but he chose us. Ephesians 1.4 says, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Like he chose us. And again, that verse in Deuteronomy um, 7, of all the people on the earth, the Lord your God has chosen you to be his own special treasure. What amazing, affirming, dignifying thing to be chosen by Almighty God. That's amazing. And listen, God's plan, desire, and delight is in choosing you. Not begrudging you enough to have that one. His delight was to choose us before creation of the world. That's, that's always been his heart, you know, to choose and call people to himself. That was his promise to Israel, and that is the promise to you and I. And Jesus has made that available to every person on the planet. And remember, listen, he chooses whoever says yes. You know that phrase, many are called, few are chosen. Like there's a parable where Jesus sends out all the invitations, um, and just loads of people say no, and then says, well, go and you know, take them to everybody else, anyone you can find, the poor and the needy, and just go to anybody. 
Listen, the invitation goes out and you know, everyone who says yes is chosen. He chooses you and I to be his own special possession. Now, I've talked about this a little bit before. It almost, like possession sounds a little bit possessive because it's from the same word. Like almost is a bit like, is this an alarming thing to be God's special possession? I don't think it is, but I want to kind of, I think it's a really good thing. Um, other translations say... Um, are people belonging to God? And actually, that's more the language that's in the sort of the Deuteronomy version. You are a holy people who belong to the Lord your God. So, okay, we're okay with being chosen by God. What does it mean to belong to God? Um, you know, it's something that I think is actually profoundly affirming, but, but enormously challenging as well. And if you think about even just the word to belong, it, you can use it in different ways. You can use it as a noun or a verb. So a noun is something that, or someone that belongs to someone else. These are my shoes. Yeah? It's like, that's, they belong to me. Yeah? So that's the one word. The other way is a verb, which means that something is properly placed. So you could say, oh, you know, that picture belongs on that wall. You know, it just, it finds its, it's, it's like it's in the right place. It's, it's settled, which even, you know, the verse Mark shared from the Colossians before we even started that everything finds its place in Jesus, in belonging to Jesus. So when I read this, you know, I belong to God, I think of both those things and I find it profoundly comforting to belong to God um, because belonging is about safety, security, and home. But it is also about, actually, do you know I, I do belong to him. Listen, he is God, you're not. Like, he is sovereign, eternal, almighty God, and we are just... Guys and girls, like we're just humans, um, and our lives are not our own. Like, like our, we need to understand, we were bought with a high price. Paul says that exact phrase in one Corinthians six: "Your life is not your own." Like, it, it isn't, um, and in that sense, we belong to Him entirely. Your time, your money, your thoughts, your relationships, your work life—you like it doesn't belong to you in that sense. Because, but. Because that price was paid and we belong to him, that sense of belonging, that being home, finding our place and perfection in Jesus, that's what it means to belong to him. So it's not just that sense of ownership, it's actually a sense of home. But it's both. Um, And I would encourage us to to really press in, because I think probably some of us are, are way more comfortable or have just kind of walked that path of one or the other. Um, but it's both. Um being chosen by God as his possession is profoundly comforting, but also really sobering and challenging as well. I want to, it might help if you think in terms of marriage. So in one of the marriage, um, the sort of CV marriage service, the words, one of the phrases that uses husbands and wives belong to each other in love. You've heard that phrase? You've been to any weddings? Um, and again, you know, initially it's like, Am I okay with that? I belong to Phil. Like, it's not like he paid my dad six camels for it. It's not that kind of belonging. Um, but, but there are actually those two senses of belonging. Actually, if you think of it in terms of marriage, I think it's kind of quite helpful. I can rightly say Phil is my husband. He's not your husband. He's, no, he's mine. He's my husband. Um, and there is that sense, a possessive sense. Not about control, not about, you know, anyone being subject to anyone else. Um, 
But actually, the bottom line is we're not now independent of one another. Like the marriage vows you make are pretty hefty vows. Welcome home, Mr. and Mrs. White, said them most recently. All that I am I give to you, all that I have I share with you. That's a big promise. That's a challenging promise to live out. But listen, we, you know, those who are married now are not independent of one another, and there is responsibility required of one another. So in that sense of marriage, that, that sense of belonging is really important. But actually, we must have that sense of belonging too. So actually, not just that you know, Phil is my husband, and there's like, actually there's, there's things... There's exclusivity involved in that. But actually, more than anything else, is marriage needs to be the place, and you know, your husband, your wife, is the place where you're like, oh, I'm home. That sense of belonging. Actually, I need to... And actually, I would encourage us that I need to have that sense of belonging first and foremost with Phil. Then the, you know, he's my husband, I'm his wife, therefore I ought to. If we only have that, it's so easy to get into hot water. Um, but listen, having been chosen by one another like which we did, no one held a gun to our heads, we chose one another to get married. And in doing that, we now belong to one another in love. And so in, ma- in a marriage covenant, you know, that belonging, being chosen, being set apart for one person and one person only, um, far from being restrictive and oppressive, um, I think is unbelievably affirming, gives amazing dignity, security, sense of worth, but absolutely comes with responsibility, And it's the same with God's covenant of love with us as people chosen by him, belonging to him, finding our place in him, but knowing, hey, my life's not mine. belongs to you, Jesus. So the second one, the royal priesthood. Um, Peter goes after this. He goes after this a bit in verse 5 as well. Um, Even even in the sort of when he's talking about... um, what we're being built into, verse 5, says, like living stones, you're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to be a priesthood? Well, I think the first thing is it's really interesting that he talks about a priesthood, which the word is very much a people. It's not you are priests, as in individually. Um, It's very much looking at corporately, and, and I think that's an, when you're reading this passage, actually, a lot of what Peter says is, is aimed at the people, not individuals. I'll probably come back to that in a second. But if you look at the Old Testament, who were the priests? Like, what's priesthood all about? Because for us, it doesn't really mean an awful lot, does it? Um, could spend a long time on it, but I will briefly. Um, so in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, the priests were a called-out group of people only from one of the 12 tribes, the tribe of Levi, so it's the Levites, um, and they were responsible for certain aspects of worship, practical tasks, running the temple, um, offering sacrifices on behalf of the people. And you saw the priests going out the front of the army, leading worship, going out front. They were pronounced blessings. They were involved in some sort of pronouncing God's sort of judgments and, and explaining some of God's laws and that then by Jesus' time, that had sort of shifted to more the scribes and the Pharisees. But that's what the priesthood kind of looked like. So it was, um, they had these responsibilities. Some were very practical, some were very spiritual. Um, but principally, it's almost there were these two things. They were to minister to God on behalf of the people, and they were to minister to the people on behalf of God. So they were kind of the, like, the mediators, if you like, um, but they had access to God's presence that others didn't. So particularly, you know, so that 
the other people couldn't do the sacrifices, particularly if you remember the high priest on the Day of Atonement, so one guy, one day of the year, went into the Holy of Holies to make sacrifice for people's sin. All of that changed with Jesus. So in Hebrews, it talks about Jesus being our great high priest who's made you know, one sacrifice that makes people perfect for all time. Yeah, we understand that. Um, so, and, and even in you know, little symbolic things like at the crucifixion, when Jesus died, the, the, the veil in the temple, which was what separated off the Holy of Holies, was torn from top to bottom. So that, that separation and people needing to come to God through somebody else changed because now there's one mediator, says in Timothy, one mediator between man and God, the man Jesus Christ. So now you and I are called into these priestly roles of coming into God's presence and ministering to him. Um, we can all now go directly to God in prayer, worship, praise. Like we're all now in the ministry, whereas, you know, then it wasn't. It was just this one group of people. Um, and so now, you know, we're, our whole lives now are worship. So when Peter talks about, you know, we're a holy priesthood to make spiritual sacrifices, there's no sacrifice required for the payment of sin anymore. That is entirely done. But that doesn't mean sacrifice is done with. But our, you know, Paul says, doesn't he, offer your bodies as living sacrifice. So now, you know, we're all priests, we're all in the ministry, and we all get to make sacrifices and offer ourselves. And if you look back in church history, although this, you know, this is what Jesus did, this is the new covenant, was that Jesus is the great high priest who's made a way for all of us to enter in. And Paul encourages us, doesn't he, in Hebrews 10, he says, listen, let's go boldly in to the Holy of Holies because Jesus has opened up this new and living way. Like, but if you look back in church history, sort of pre-the-Reformation, and um, They'd gone back to this kind of old covenant idea of, you know, a select group of people kind of did the business between God and man. And this is one of the key things that Luther in the Reformation, you know, the two key things, I think, my simple understanding was, one, this understanding is that you are saved by faith, justified by faith, um, by grace, by faith in Jesus, nothing else. And also this idea of the priesthood of all believers. So listen, it's not just a certain group of people and you have to go to God through that man. Um, it's that you go directly, the priesthood of all believers. John Wimber um, called it, everybody gets to play, which is an easier way of understanding it, isn't it? Every believer is a priest in the sense that we all have equal and absolute access to God and to serve him personally. And this is this word about access. I've kind of, when I've been praying and preparing this week, it's, that's what I want us to understand is, listen, we have access. So even the word Neil bore, you know, look up into his eyes and coming to see God, to, to be in his presence. I know there are people in this room who think that's for certain people, like Ruth and the worship leaders. That's old covenant. That's just not true. Yes, Ruth is a priest, but so are you. You have access to come into God's presence and minister to him. Listen, this isn't on my slides, apologies. Um, a little extra. Ezekiel 44, it's quite a long chunk, but there's this amazing passage where God is talking um, to the Levites and the priests and, and basically saying, look, some of them have not honored God and they've not been faithful, and so they're, they're, they're basically they're not let me just read you the verses, it would help. Um, some had been faithful, some hadn't. Okay? Simple. 
And however, this is verse 15 of Ezekiel 44, the Levitical priests of the family of Zadok continued to minister faithfully in the temple when Israel abandoned me for idols. These men will serve as my ministers. They will stand in my presence and offer the fat and the blood of the sacrifices, says the sovereign Lord. They alone will enter my sanctuary and approach my table to minister to me. So there's like this amazing faithfulness even in the Old Covenant, was rewarded with access to God. It's super interesting. If you look a few verses before that, the ones who were unfaithful, I will paraphrase, pretty much God saying, they can't come and minister to me, um, but they can serve in the temple caretakers. They can kind of do some maintenance work. They can do general duties. They can do some stuff around the outside, but they're not going to be able to come right in. Listen, sometimes we get, we have the wrong view of what Jesus did and we think we're one of the people who do the outside, tidy up, be the caretaker, do the stuff, and not understanding that God's heart and what Jesus paid for is for us to have access into God's very presence. So I want us to be super careful. We don't slip back, actually, into an understanding that you know, there's the priest, there's the people who are in the ministry, there's the people who can kind of come close to God, and you know, I just need to sort of flit around the edges and, and, and do stuff for God. Like that's 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 just not a full picture of what God's provided for you. And as part of a royal priesthood, a royal priesthood, no, kings and priests. Um, I can't stress enough this this idea that we have access. But listen, what are we going to do with that? But yes, do you know what? There, absolutely, there is, you know, there's amazing privilege in being priests that we can come and minister to God. And actually what we bring is acceptable. And I think sometimes we, some people here might have the idea that actually, I've, you know, oh, Jesus, what have I possibly got that he could want? But Peter says in verse 5, doesn't he, that we offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Actually, what you bring by bringing yourself is so acceptable to God as a priesthood, Um, but it's all of us. It is all of us. But yes, there's, you know, there is, there is responsibility with that. Like we are supposed to minister to people as well. You know, actually we are, we do have now the ministry of reconciliation. We are God's ambassadors to go out and say, come back to God. Like there is still, if you like that bridging role to priesthood, Um, but it's, it's from his presence to those who don't know him not through somebody else into his presence. So I want to encourage you, every single one of you is in this priesthood. You all get to play. And then the last one he talks about is being a holy nation, um, which is really everything we looked at last week. You know, we looked at where you know, Paul, Peter's charge to live a holy life um, to, as people chosen by God, belonging to him, it has to land on, listen, there's holiness. Like, it, it can't be any other way. And I don't want to just repeat what I talked about last week, but listen, as people with direct access to God, we're called to represent him. Um, and remember, we were made holy by God through Jesus, but we're called to work that out in every area of our lives. It's not about restriction. Holiness is not boring. It is about absolutely empowered for fullness. Um, but listen again, it's as a nation. It's not you are holy individuals. Like you're a holy nation. Um, and even how he, you know, how he finishes this passage in verses 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, abstain from sinful desires. 
He's saying, live such good lives. He's saying, look, there is a practical outworking to being chosen priests, belonging to God. It needs to look like something. And it needs to look like something amongst people who don't know God. So they look at your life and they look at the good things that you are doing and glorify God. That's part of being priests. Um, But it is, it's a holy nation. And listen, that was always God's heart for Israel. It was never supposed to stop with them. It talks about them being a lighthouse to the Gentiles. You know, their chosenness was supposed to be broadcast to the nations and that all the nations would come. And I believe that, you know, prophetically, that, like, that's what God's prophetic picture is, and he's faithful to fulfill that. That is what's going to happen. You know, one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Um, but as part of this holy nation now, so remember holy is set apart, called out ones, you know, living as foreigners. Yeah, this isn't our home, this isn't it. Um, but we are called to represent him. And that's part of actually, that is part of worship, part of ministering to God is representing him well to people who don't know him. So yes, you're an individual living stone, but you find your place, you need to take your place in this temple to be part of the priesthood, not a priest. You know, there just, there just isn't anything I see in the Bible that encourages or even validates kind of a lone wolf, ment- lone wolf mentality. I just don't think it's there. You're a holy nation. You are holy people, part of a holy nation. So Peter really, through this amazing passage, he looks at, um, the, in fact, the whole of his, his book, I love it, he looks at the macro, he goes big picture, but then he comes and looks at the individual, the micro as well, and saying, you know what, you're living stones, being grafted into God's heart, being taking your place in this amazing story through history and, and being built into something long-promised, and being fulfilled because of Jesus. So you do have an individual place in it, um, but it is about we, not just me. I think the danger is, is we can either go to one of two extremes, I guess. The, the danger is we, can, it, um, we get swept up into, it's all about me, um, you know, without understanding that actually lots of God's promises and much of this passage um, is given corporately to a people. Now, yes, you need to take hold of it for yourself, but it's not, I don't think, I'm going to say this, I think it's okay, I don't think many of the promises of God um, are going to be fulfilled outside of the context of a temple. I don't think they're going to be fulfilled you on your own. I think they're given corporately, and I think they're supposed to be worked out corporately. So it's not just me, I think that's the danger is we take any of God's promises and we apply it to, and we should do that. Like we should apply them to ourselves. But do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not, okay, good. I'm not confusing you. But listen, the other danger we could go to is think, well, it's not for me. You know, being a priest to, you know, coming to minister to God. Well, that's for Ruth and Penny and Lou and Ed. That's not for me. You know, I'm supposed to sweep up. Um, listen, that's worship just as much as anything here. But in terms of, in terms of coming into God's presence, that's there for all of us. And that promise and that prophetic declaration, you're a chosen people, you are a royal priesthood, you are a holy nation, you are a people belonging to God. Like That is for you, as well as it's given for us, you need to take hold of it for you as well. Is that confusing? It's for all of us. It needs, those things need to be foundational truths stamped on each one of our hearts. 
Um, but it needs to be what is, you know, the banner over this temple that God's building. And listen, the purpose, the end of verse 9, like it's, it's not all about us and neither is it all for us. The purpose is, the end of verse 9, is that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The motive for everything is the amazing good news of what Jesus has done for us. Like, that's the motive, that we, you know, that our whole lives represent him well and declare the praises of him, of Jesus. So as chosen ones, as priests, as a holy nation, as people whose lives do not belong to ourselves anymore, the purpose is very clear. Your life shouts and points to Jesus at every point. Um, And that's when we're going to be a glorious and spotless bride, when actually we understand who we are. we're, We're building our lives on the foundational cornerstone of Jesus. We understand that God is sovereign over history, and yes, things are shaky, but his plan and his purpose is sure. He who promised is faithful. And so that settles it for me. But I have, I have a, an opportunity, an unbelievable privilege to be called chosen of God, to belong to him, to find my place in Jesus. But absolutely that comes with responsibility. And I, you know, I want for our... our if, if there's two things that we could kind of just take out of this passage is one understanding you have access to come into the presence of God and minister to him, and he wants you to. You know, some would just think, I've got nothing to bring, and like that's just not true. You have access to God. But, but we're called to represent him well, and our lives should be you know, just declaring that God is so good. And always point to the faithfulness, the kindness, the grace, the mercy of King Jesus. So, why don't we stand? I want us to pray. I want us to pray for ourselves, but I want us to pray for the church as well. I want us to, you know, I, I know sometimes we can look and we can be discouraged because sometimes like the church, you know, there's bits where we get confused and we, and we say stuff we shouldn't say and we try and wear things that are ours to wear and and it can be discouraging but guys I'm so excited about what God's doing on the earth you know just did you see the Pentecost stuff that was going on in the um, cathedrals across England love the Archbishop of Canterbury gosh he is raised absolutely raised up as a man of God for this hour he's amazing do you see the picture at the front five bishops in their purple robes dancing it's like (laughs) that's not normal but, but amazing, thousands of people praying for God's kingdom to come, for the Holy Spirit to come in you know, some of the massive historical cathedrals in our nation. That's exciting. I know there's stuff that's shaking. I know there's areas where we feel like, gosh, the church is putting on like an old shell suit, and it's like, that doesn't fit you. We're supposed to be glorious, pure, and spotless. And I know we're not there yet. But listen, I want to... God's purposes have not changed. And I, I want to just read you that last little bit of that John Piper quote, because I love it. It really encouraged me. Just listen to this. If you believe on this, this stone, on Jesus, you can't lose. If you disbelieve on him, you can't win. Human unbelief does not frustrate or defeat the ultimate purposes of God. If God plans for Jesus to be the chief cornerstone, humans can betray him, desert him, deny him, mock him, strike him, spit on him, hit him with rods, 
crown him with thorns, strip him, crucify and bury him, but they cannot stop him from being what God destined him to be, the living cornerstone of a great and glorious people. So Jesus, we just say yes and amen. That God, you know, the great shakings that we might see in our day, God, unbelief, idolatry, brokenness, God, all that stuff that we see, it cannot and it will not stop. Your church being made glorious, the name of King Jesus being lifted up, and your kingdom coming, and the glory of the Lord filling the whole earth. So, Father, we want to have a confidence in that. And I pray, um, I pray for us as individuals, and I pray for us as a body. Um, God, sure up our foundations, that we trust you. Jesus, you are the only foundation, and we gladly build our lives on you. And we just declare over ourselves that, that he who comes to you will not be put to shame. And that, God, you're sovereign over history. Jesus, you're the beginning and the end. And yet you call us in that amazing arc of history. You come to each one of us and and call us to come and to be chosen by you, to belong to you, to come to minister to you and to represent you amongst the nations. Jesus, what a privilege. We are so, so thankful for what you've done, who you've created us to be and what you're doing in our lives, in our church, in our nation, in our day. So God, we want to be a people of faith. We want to speak hope. We want to speak life. And we want to honor you so well with the whole of our lives. Thank you that we have access to you. My goodness, what a privilege. And Jesus, teach us to walk in that new and living way that you've opened up. God, help us to walk in that into, like Ruth said, we want to see what we've never seen, we want to hear what we haven't heard, and we want to have revealed to us new things, new treasures. God, we want to sing a new song, and we want to just, we want to live knowing the um, access we have to come to, into your presence at any time, any place, any day. But we are so mindful and so thankful and so humbled at the price that you pray, paid for us to have that access. In Jesus' name, amen.